I'm talking about the aftermath of the NBA trade deadline. Who won? Who lost? We're also talking about the OKC Thunder. Which player deserves more MVP love? And who's the best player on the Thunder? It's the Cypher. If you're a fan of the NBA, you look forward to the regular season, the playoffs, and of course the finals, along with all the individual greatness that's on display. You root for your favorite team. You hope the young players develop into stars. And of course, you pray that everybody stays healthy. But right in the middle of the season, right before the All-Star break, all we talk about is the trade deadline. The NBA trade deadline ticks down to February 7th. And whether you're a fan of the lottery-bound Bulls, Suns, or Pelicans, or you roll with a squad that's a playoff contender trying to add that missing piece or two, the trade deadline draws everybody in with the hope that your GM will make that right move. Make that move that sets you up for the present and the future. So who were the winners and who were the losers of this past trade deadline? I'm going to say one winner, Philadelphia 76ers. The Sixers added Tobias Harris. And by adding Tobias Harris, that gives Philly Three guys in their starting lineup that can get you buckets, that can get you 20 to 25 a game. Factor in that J.J. Redick is having a career year, averaging 18 points a game himself, along with Ben Simmons, who's not a natural scorer, giving you 16 points, nine rebounds and eight assists. And I think the Sixers have the best starting five in the East. And on paper, the second best starting five in the NBA behind the Golden State Warriors. But being great on paper doesn't guarantee playoff success. It doesn't guarantee being a championship contender. Chemistry plays a role and chemistry can make or break a season. I think Tobias Harris gives the Sixers not just another score, but he's one of the better catch and shoot wings in the NBA. Plus, I think Philly did themselves a favor by adding some depth. They added Mike Scott, James Ennis, Jonathan Simmons, and Boban. I think those three wing defenders, all three of those guys are three and D players. I think that gives the Sixers added depth that they much needed. Another winner, I think, by far, was the Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee was already the number one seed in the East. They've already got the top guy, I think in most people's opinion, the guy who's probably leading in MVP votes right now in Giannis. They've also got a nice starting five. Everybody in their starting five can get you double digits. What they were missing was firepower off the bench. What they were missing was some depth. So what did they do? They went out and traded for Nikola Miritich. And what Miritich gives them is a pick and pop big that can play both the four and the five, and he shoots the three at a high level. Remember, Milwaukee was already long. They were already athletic. And when you look at Bledsoe, when you look at Giannis and Chris Middleton, that team can defend at a high level, and when they play with pace, they're a problem. I think this move, I think the addition of Meritage, it doesn't guarantee them the number one seed, but I think it's, a, it's the kind of move that's going to secure them the number one seed heading into the playoffs.
I thought the Toronto Raptors were a winner. Now, Toronto did trade a younger player. They traded Valanchunas, who's only 26, in return for Marcus Gasol, who I think, even though he's been a great player, I think he's in decline, but I still think he's an upgrade. And the Raptors like to play with pace. So with Gasol's ability to shoot with range, along with his ability to pass, I think that opens up the floor for them. Plus, he can still be an effective rim protector. Not to mention, I think their plan, and it's a smart plan, is to use him in spot minutes with certain units. Now, I'm not saying it's a lock, but I do believe this. If the Toronto Raptors go into the playoffs healthy, I think they're going to be one of the two teams playing in the Eastern Conference Finals. They're that talented, and I think they just added more talent up front. Another winner, and this move is more of a win for the future, and it's a gamble. I think it was the Dallas Mavericks. If the Mavericks can get a healthy Christoph Porzingis and pair him with Luka Doncic, Dallas is going to have one of the top two duos in the NBA for the next decade. Again, it's a gamble, but if you're Mark Cuban, it's a gamble you had to make. Another winner, in my opinion, the New York Knicks, the team that the Dallas Mavericks made that deal with. I think the Brazingas deal did the Knicks a big favor. It gave them the flexibility to have the cap space this coming offseason to sign two max contracts. They also got two future first-round picks, DeAndre Jordan and Dennis Smith Jr., a talented second-year player. I think initially the Knicks' plan was to release both Wesley Matthews and DeAndre Jordan. But I think they've decided to try to retain DeAndre Jordan, which is a smart move. You're still talking about a big that can get you 12 points a game and 15 rebounds and protect the paint. And Dennis Smith Jr. is still developing, but he's a unique talent. I think the Knicks are definitely winners. The biggest loser? It's no secret. That would be the Los Angeles Lakers. Magic Johnson trying to add a superstar or a second superstar is the right move. But once you go all in and put everybody not named LeBron in various deals, as you should have, if those deals or if that particular deal doesn't get done, now you've got a problem. Now you have fallout. Because those players know the only reason they're still part of your franchise is because the Pelicans didn't think five or six of them, along with picks, was enough for AD. And in the end, if you're the the Pelicans GM, if you're Dell Depps, your job is to make the best deal for your franchise. And look, maybe there is a better deal coming their way this summer. But this media-driven narrative that why would anybody want the young players from a 35-win team, I think that's a little harsh. Remember, yes, they won 35 games last year with a young core of Ingram 20, Kuzma 22, Ball 20, Hart 22, and Julius Randle 23. But let's not forget, Lonzo Ball missed 30 games last season. Brandon Ingram missed 23 games last season. And my point has nothing to do with the Pelicans, but more about the media, at least how they're writing these young players off as if they're finished products, as if they won't continue to develop. 
Ball and Kuzma are in their second years. And Ingram is in his third year at age 21. Think about it this way in comparison. In the 08-09 season, OKC only won 23 games. They were 23-59 and with Durant and Jeff Green in their second year and Westbrook in his first year. And I'm not saying any of these young Laker players are going to be on the level of Durant and Westbrook, but to talk about them like they're done and can't improve or take their skill sets and games to another level, I disagree. And anybody that's listened to me on the cipher, you know me. I've said this. I don't see a superstar in that core. But I do think one of them will become an all-star caliber player. And I think the other three will be very good players that can impact teams, that can help teams win. I got off track. I digress. Look, bottom line is this. The biggest loser was the Lakers because now their management and coaching staff have to find a way to refocus the mindset of the entire team on a team goal. And the problem is there's a lack of trust in that locker room. I think the path forward really depends on how LeBron is viewed in the locker room. We know he's the best player, but do those young guys trust him? Do they still see him as a leader? And and look, no doubt this is a business and management will do what they need to do. But if I'm in that locker room, how can I not? Because this is a human thing. This, this, this is personal. You've been told for the first time you're 2021 that you're not good enough. I guess my how do I not wonder about the 34-year-old superstar who we all know his clock is ticking, time's running out, and he doesn't have the time or patience to wait for me to develop? How can I trust him? Or is this the rest of, or is the rest of the season going to basically play out us versus him? I know Magic spoke with the team and it doesn't seem like it had a positive impact. This is one of those kind of situations where I think it's going to have to be worked out in the locker room amongst the players. If the Lakers are going to have a legitimate chance to make the playoffs, they're going to have to resolve this themselves. But it starts with LeBron. Another team that I would put in the loser category at the trade deadline would be the Boston Celtics. Look, Boston didn't try to make any trade deadline moves, and some could make the case because they were able to contact the Pelicans and remind them of the potential offer coming from Boston in the summer that they were winners. I know coming into this season, most people projected the Celtics to win the East because of their depth. When you look at the addition of a healthy Kyrie and Gordon Haywood, I understand that kind of thinking. I was always concerned about chemistry. When you take guys who were getting starters minutes in the playoffs and then reduce their playing time, and these are young guys trying to establish themselves, I think that impacted Brown, Rozier, and Tatum. Even with all their issues, I think the Celtics will be the third seed in the East when it's all said and done. That doesn't mean they won't get beat in the first round if all of these individual talents can't play as a unit instead of worrying about their playing time and stat line. 
Everybody can't do what Kyrie does. He's one of the NBA special talents. And while Brown has a lot of talent and Tatum has the potential to be a star as well, Kyrie is their best player. He's one of the NBA special players. The only other player on that team not named Kyrie that has a chance to be special is Jason Tatum. And he's been as good as he was last year, but not better. He didn't take the leap forward that most of us thought he would. I think the Celtics are losers because once the trade deadline passed, they lost the opportunity to control Kyrie's fate. I think Kyrie's going to walk in the summer. And I don't think any value is going to come back in return. It seems like Danny Ainge is gambling that the Celtics will figure, figure things out, go on a run, play in the finals. Anything less than that, and Kyrie is gone. If Danny Ainge doesn't offer him the Supermax, he's gone. Honestly, I think even if he offered him the Supermax, he's gone. I just think Kyrie is ghost. That said, I understand why Danny Ainge is taking this gamble. Let's remember that the Celtics have a ton of picks and they still have some very good tradable assets. I also think the Pelicans were losers. My gut feeling is that monster offer that they're expecting coming from Ainge, it won't be that great an offer after all. Not if Kyrie leaves. That changes everything. But then again, Ainge would be making a monster offer to a club that has 25 wins. They have Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis, the guy that everybody wants, and they have 25 wins. That's something to think about. NBA moves that I did like in the trade deadline that kind of like went under the radar. Nobody really talked about. I would say that I like the addition of Rodney Hood by Portland. I'm not saying Rodney Hood is a star or that third star that people say the, the Blazers need, but he does give them a legitimate double figure score. He gives them a needed wing score. I think Hood is going to be the perfect fourth option behind Dame, behind CJ, along with Nurkic. I think Portland it might be the best destination for Rodney Hood. Talented, young team, but in a quiet, let's say smallish media place. I think it's the perfect fit for him. I think this might be the best stop for Rodney Hood. He's got he's a talented player. He's just never really been able to put it together. But I think playing the role that they're going to put him in, I think this fits him and it fits the Blazers. A lot of the fam disagreed with me when I said that Paul George had not only become the Thunder's best player, but that he's also a legit MVP candidate. And that's not me disrespecting Russell Westbrook, who in year 11 is still playing at a superstar level. I love Russ. He's one of my favorite players to watch. And his career resume is levels above Paul George's. But this is about what's happening this season. Yes, Russ is averaging 21 points, 11 rebounds, 11 assists on his way to his third consecutive triple-double season. And he's still the heartbeat of the Thunder. Nobody in the NBA plays with the motor or the nonstop action of Russell Westbrook. But I disagree with the idea that Russ changed his game or took a step back for PG-13. That didn't happen. Russ is still taking 19 shots a game. He's still dominating the ball more or less. What has happened is 
Paul George has played better. Paul George has stepped up and he's played with a confidence and an aggression I didn't think he had in him. For years, I used to tell friends, I'd take Jimmy Butler over Paul George, even though I knew Paul George was more gifted, more talented. I'd take Jimmy Bucket because I thought Jimmy Bucket had more dog in him. And that's not the case this season. This season, PG-13 is attacking on offense at all times and locking down defense at all times. He's a great team and individual defender. On offense, he can post, he can beat you off the bounce, or he can hit you with the pull-up or step-back three. Look, there's no doubt Russell Westbrook is having a great season. And I agree, he's much more than his shooting percentage. But the Thunder's best player this season is PG-13, and he should get more MVP love. Last night, Russ goes for 21, 14, and 11 for his 10th consecutive triple-double. On that same night, PG-13, 47 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists. The Thunder have a legit dynamic duo, but their best player is Paul George. I want to give a shout out to the Facebook fam, the YouTube fam. Welcome in all the listeners from Spreaker. I'll be back sometime this week. I promise. I'm really behind on a lot of your responses. And you know me. I'm going to put them out there. Good, bad, agree or disagree. So good looking out, fam. Shout out to the anchor community. It's the Cypher. Next time.